Hello, and welcome to The Impact Code, your go-to podcast for stories of transformation, inspiration, and impact. I'm your host, Brett Hollenbeck, a seeker and storyteller dedicated to bringing you conversations that illuminate the path to personal growth and collective change. Each episode, we dive deep into the lives of innovators, thinkers, and doers who are breaking boundaries and making their difference in the world. Today's episode is brought to you by Tower Community Bank. As a dedicated partner in progress, Tower Community Bank is not just a financial institution. We are a cornerstone in fostering growth and development within our communities. With a commitment to personal service and supporting local initiatives, we help turn dreams into reality for individuals and businesses alike. If you enjoyed today's show, you can show support by heading over to www.towercommunitybank.com and checking us out. Big thanks to Tower Community Bank for their support in making this episode possible and for their ongoing commitment to community and empowerment. So sit back, tune in, and get ready to be inspired by today's conversation with Topaz Adizis. Welcome to The Impact Code, where we explore stories of people just like you who are making a profound impact on our world. Today, we're joined by a visionary filmmaker and experienced designer, Topaz Adizas. An internationally acclaimed writer and director, Topaz's films have graced the screens of prestigious festivals like Cannes, Sundance, and South by Southwest, to name just a few. He's not only a storyteller, but a story breaker. Known for his award-winning films such as Boy and Laredo, Texas which not only entertain, but deeply move and provoke thought. But Topaz is more than just a filmmaker. With a rich background in philosophy from UC Berkeley and Oxford University, he brings a unique perspective to his work, one that transcends boundaries and speaks to the core of human connection. His groundbreaking interactive documentary, The And, not only won an Emmy, but also touched the hearts of over 150 million people, showcasing his gift for creating spaces where intimate conversations thrive. Fluent in Hebrew, Spanish, Swedish and English, and having traveled to over 45 countries, Topaz is a global citizen whose work is as diverse as his experiences. His latest venture, 12 Questions for Love, promises to be a guide for those seeking deeper relationships and more meaningful conversations. So get ready to dive into a conversation that's all about breaking barriers, asking the right questions, and understanding the magic and human connections. Let's give a warm welcome to Topaz Adizas. Topaz, Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Brett. Thanks for having me here. It's good to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. So I followed your work for quite a while. And recently I listened to your podcast on Mudwater and it was a really powerful conversation. And the thing that fascinated me was the focus on human connection. And I'd love to just start with where did that connection uh, or where did that interest in connection and human connection start for you? I think it started, um, I mean, it's become clear for me from, cause you know, written this book, 12 questions for love. And in the process of writing that book, I asked myself that. And I think what's become clear is it came from childhood where there was a lack of intimacy. There was a lack mm-hmm. of that with my parents. They got divorced when I was very young. And, uh, I think that created a hunger, a desire for connection. And then a yearning for it and a searching for it. And in my twenties, I traveled and grabbed a camera and started talking to people and 
I didn't know it then, but I think I've realized that I was looking for that intimacy and I was using the camera as a tool as kind of a key into people's worlds, into their lives as a bridge to, you know, search for connection. And, and then in my late thirties, you know, I started this project, uh, with the skin deep, which is our experience design studio, but the project was called the and, which is really just having these people facing each other, asking each other questions and filming their faces at the same time. So that much like this podcast where I'm looking at you, you see both our faces at the same time. So I think like, the, you know, the, the seed of it, I think would be, you know, my childhood and you're, you know, seeking intimacy and connection. And basically what started in my life is, is a source of pain and a, turned into a desire, turned into a hunger that then has shifted into a gift, really a gift for others to offer others. It's, it's really powerful. I was watching one of the videos just this morning, just to sort of prepare and, and refresh and it brought me to tears. And it was this bizarre thing because I didn't actually understand why. And it was this moment where one person asked a question the other person was listening and there was a silence, but yeah. that you could see in their eyes in that silence, this emotion pop up and yeah. it made me cry just seeing the emotion without an mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. What is that that's underneath those uh, questions that, that right. really can drive an emotional response like that? And how does that happen? Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Um, out of curiosity. Well, so those you know, what's, what's powerful about the format is that we film it with three cameras. So two close-ups on their faces on each participant's face and then a wide shot. And what makes that powerful is that it records what I call the space between, which mm -hmm. is really, you know, um, a shout out to the name of the project, the and, which is about mm -hmm. a connection is it's not you or I us or them. It's you and I us and them. It's the end that connects us. It's the end that's the space between. So by filming, basically by, by seeing both faces at the same time, it illuminates that space between. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily the words. It's our eyes, how we shift, one, you know, reacting to each other. It's our faces reacting to There's a lot more that is said than what is heard. Yeah. You know, you're know, heard in terms of voice and words. There's a lot more that is said with our being, with our presence, with our eyes, with our faces. Um, how many times has someone said, I love you. And yet it doesn't feel like they love you or that they say yeah. they hate you. And it doesn't feel like they hate you. Hmm. Um, or they say, I understand you, but it doesn't feel like they understand you. So the words are not hmm. always exact copies of what is actually emotionally happening. And so by filming both faces at the same time, I feel like we are illuminating the space between and a friend of mine, she said, when she watched it, she's like, she said, you know, there's reality TV. This is reality of feeling. Mm. And I feel we are capturing that. And, and my team and I at the skin deep, you know, it's our experience design studio. We create a lot of different experiences. The and is our, is kind of the, the, the tent pole, the basic biggest one, most successful one. And the one we've been doing for 10 years, recording over 1200 conversations, but it feels It's just an honor to have that project and yeah and and we're very proud of the space that we're holding for people to have and and, and making that effort of stepping into the space and kind of lost my train of thought there 
<laughs> Sorry. No, no, not at all. I, I love that idea of the reality of feeling. And, yeah. and because I do think, mm-hmm. I, do, I do think that a lot of reality TV um, is playing on these superficial sort of artificially created scenarios yeah. that are almost like um, an artificial version of the real thing. Yeah. I mean, and I was, what I was going with before I lost my train of thought yeah, was simply yeah. my team and I at the skin deep. We really pride ourselves in creating digital doses of humanity because mm. so many of us are taking information in on our phones and, and our laptops and TV. And these are their interest of that algorithm or of the broadcast or the network is really to garner your attention. Yeah. So oftentimes what gets your attention are things that are not, might not necessarily be things that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's an opportunity here to share digital doses of humanity. And when you started, you said, what, what is that thing that, why was I crying at just the looking of the eyes? It's because it reminds you of the connection that exists between all of us as humans, mm. that emotional connection that we're not alone in this experience. And that by either talking to someone else, listening to someone else, watching another pair, having a conversation that's from the heart, it, it plays, it resonates on our sense of humanity. And it's something yeah. that, the more we spend on our tech, on our machines and fed these bites, these moments, these TikTok moments, these, you know, whatever they are, they're not necessarily re- reminding us of our shared humanity. And that's something that my team and I are really inspired by. And that's why we've yeah. been doing it for 10 years. We've learned a yeah. lot, right? I mean, that's the learning from the project is what's all distilled into the book. And, um, but that's that's really why we do it. It's how do we contribute to society, um, and it's by illuminating the shared experiences that we have as human beings. Yeah, you know, there's a lot we can learn from each other. Yeah, I I learned a lot just in that. It, it's a 12 minute video, and I'll link to the specific episode. It was, um, I think the episode was called like "Are You Gonna Have My Baby" or something similar to that. And, okay. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll link to that one in the show notes so people can watch and just see the power. It's absolutely remarkable to see how much emotion you can experience and witness and be a part of in a 12 minute video. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. It's so powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Topaz, I want to talk about a quote from the book and uh, this is your upcoming book, 12 questions. And I want you to sort of elaborate on it a little bit and, and, uh, emphasize a a few points, but the quote is quality conversations can only take place when both partners feel they're in an emotionally safe space. Mm. And so I want to talk about what gets in the way of building an emotionally safe space. Yeah. So I think that leads into the idea of that's not confound discomfort with safety. Mm. It's It's emotionally safe space means that there's a shared value of trust and mutual respect acknowledgement mm. that we're on the same page and the same journey. But safety is another thing where you feel maybe emotionally unsafe. You feel, you know, maybe you're in a toxic relationship. Like there's an issue of safety, but there's also an issue of discomfort. Discomfort is good. Safety mm. is essential. Right. So, but don't go, cause sometimes we have discomfort and we think it's not safety. Mm. Right. So, and anytime you, you learn, you see, if you just look at your own life, anytime you grow, it's usually, or just look at any of the biggest achievements in your life, accomplishments in any way, shape or form. A moment before that, I guarantee, I would think that you had a, you had a great moment of anxiety, of tension yeah. because you were taking a risk. You were doing something it was uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. you faced that discomfort and you grew. 
And that sense of growth is come across as maybe an accomplishment, right? Or a sense yeah. of pride or so, uh, it's an important, it's essential to have an emotionally safe space and yet let's not shy away from discomfort. So if you mm. feel that you're in a, you know, if you feel that you're in a toxic, abusive relationship, then it's not safety. Right. right? And however, a, a, I think a, a big, um, indication that you're in a safe space is the fact that you can be vulnerable, that you can lean mm. into discomfort. Now it's not necessarily easy and there's different degrees of how people can lean into vulnerability, but the fact that you make the effort and the fact that you can practice that suggests that you're in a safe space. Yeah. Right. And I think yeah. that is a rather hard delineation to make, but it's important to make that delineation. And so emotional safety to me means, are we on the same page in the sense mm. of our effort? We might see things differently, but do we want to have a loving relationship? Do we both want to grow? Do we want to make this relationship bigger, more profound to experience more things together? Do we want to create things together? Um, do we take responsibility for our actions? Is it one-sided affair where one person is always at fault and the other one's always right? Is that, that doesn't necessarily create safety. But yeah. discomfort, like, so the ability to step into discomfort, I think, is also connected to the safety of the relationship. The more you can step into discomfort, the more you can be vulnerable, suggest the more safety you have in it. And oftentimes yeah. we confound the two. Does that I make sense? I think you do a really good job. It, it, it does. And I think that's a great distinction between discomfort and safety. I think you do a really great job of this in your interviews of, uh, of creating a safe space that is uncomfortable. And how do you tactically do that when you're thinking about setting up these conversations between two people? How do you create a space that is safe, but that also pushes people into that discomfort to allow them to connect in a new way? Because I think it is in those new ways that a new type of connection happens and the growth happens. Right. So, so, so I'm just going to go macro picture for a moment. We've been doing this project for 10 years. We've had over 1200 conversations and from of all kinds, mothers and daughters, grandfathers with grandsons, best friends, exes, lovers, um, people about to get married, people dating. We've done a, a, a whole spectrum of relationships and we've learned yeah. a lot. And what we've learned is we've distilled into the book, you know, I'm going to do a little plug, but 12 questions for love, right? Which is yeah. available now. But, and from that, we've learned, well, there's two things, like, how do you create the space for a cathartic conversation? And there's really two parts. One part is creating the safe space and constructing quality questions. The second one is having those, like asking those quality questions. So safe space, quality questions. That's, those are the two pieces. So how do we create the space in terms of our production is, you know, that begins from the way we ask for people uh, to fill out the questionnaire. What are the questions that we ask on the questionnaire? How do, you know, um, how do we respond to them in email? You know, you have a misspelling of someone's name. It suggests you're not listening. Mm. You don't make a mistake in writing the, the, the spelling of the name. Um, that's just a small thing. Like the, you're holding the space and the space that we hold for our, for our physical productions begins way before they even step into the room. Mm. And then, then we have things that we practice about holding the space for people in a very simple way. It's not, over control. It's not very formal. Um, but for the book, how do you do that in your own life? Well, I think one thing is creating context, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you hear a safe space to have a conversation? If your partner comes to you tonight and says, Brett, why do you love me? You're not going to wonder why you love your partner. You're going to wonder why the hell are they asking me this question while I'm washing the right. dishes? Yeah. So how do you create the context to have it? And oftentimes when we know we need to have a hard conversation, which is uncomfortable, we rush into it, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. the wrong thing to do because we it's do. uncomfortable. Yeah. So you want to rush, yeah. but you actually have to slow down and you actually have to, if you know you're going to have a challenging conversation because there's a lot of vulnerability, there's a lot of fear, there's um, conflict, there's confrontation, then you have to create the context for it. And, you know, we, our company, you know, we sell these card games, right? Of questions, which kind of creates a context. Hey, we're playing a game. Yeah. So when you play a game, if your card comes up, why do you love me? Oh, now I can actually answer that question because I know the context. We're playing a game. Yeah. You know, it's not random. So when we have conversations, are you creating the context, the space in which is understood why we're having this conversation? Right. And where are we taught that in our life? Where, where in high school and college and where are we taught in our lives how to have cathartic, deep conversations? We're not right. really taught that. And no. even, and the, even the more time we spend on social media, the less trained we get, the less practice we have at actually listening. Yeah. Right. Can you, can you dive further into that? Why, why is that? Why would we spend less time listening? Yeah. Because the machine, these machines are not built for listening. There's talk for you to talk and post. Mm. So every, this thing, the selfie is like, it's built for you to talk and then amplify your voice. And actually it's not actually built for you to, to listen. We think mm. that by TikTok, we're listening. No, we're just getting little moments of people spouting off things that, you know, reaffirm our own opinions because that's what the algorithm is feeding us. Things that put us in our own silos. We're not, what you practice is what you get good at. How often mm. do we practice listening? How often do we practice listening? And part of that is if we create a context, if we create a space where we are listening, where there's rules, for instance, right? I mean, in your normal conversation, there's no rules. You just, I can cut you off. You can cut me off. Maybe there's cultural rules that, oh, you don't cut someone else off because it's considered rude. In other cultures, you do cut them off because it's considered the fact that you uh, agree with what they're saying, right? Like in Southern Europe, if you're having a conversation with someone and you like what they're saying, you will cut them off and raise your voice because you're getting more excited. If Mm. you take that to Sweden, that is an aggressive act because in Sweden and colder culture and, um, and other cultures where it's a bit more reserved, you don't cut someone off and you don't raise your voice. That's a sign of aggression. But in other cultures, that's actually a sign of reaffirmation and excitement. Hmm. So different things mean different things in different cultures. How do we create a space in which we can speak to one another? And more importantly, we can listen. Yeah. And that's been basically what I think is special about the projects we've been doing and how we built it into the, into the book, 12 questions for love. You know, we've distilled everything we've learned into that book. And the second part of the space, is once you create the space, which is just a conscientiousness of, hey, we're going to have this conversation. Let's have this conversation or let's play this game. And then, you know, you've, you've created the space. It also means you've allotted yourself time. Mm. You try to avoid the distractions, right? And then also maybe there's rules. Like I'll ask a question, then you'll ask a question. Then I'll ask a question, then you'll ask a question, right? Like there's some yeah. kind of guidelines, so that it makes the conversation different than a normal conversation. Mm. 
And then once you have that space, then the question is, how do you construct really powerful, well-constructed questions? Because once you start mm. co- constructing good questions, then you're sending your mind, your soul, whatever you want to, your mind in terms of if you're a really cognitive thinker or your soul, if you're feeling or emotional presence into a journey of exploration. Mm. And if you ask interesting questions, well-constructed questions, it can take you to places that you haven't been to before. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's the, tr- but that's has been my experience has been true. When you ask a question, how does, for instance, how does our conflict make us better? Mm. How often do we ask that question? Usually you ask the question, well, why do we fight so much? Or yeah. how is conflict yeah. making us worse? But how does conflict make us better? You know, what do you think is the biggest challenge for our relationship? And what do you think it's teaching us? When we construct powerful questions, it can lead us in certain directions. And that's something mm. that we've gotten really good at in seeing um, the power of questions versus searching for answers, create better questions. So yeah. it takes you on a certain journey. The book actually has a great uh, section on this that talks about uh, the five elements, uh, I think, of a, of a good question. Yeah. Um, and so I would encourage anyone, the, the book is out now, buy the book and read that section. If you want to know how to ask great questions, uh, the, the book has questions for you, but it also talks about like, what is a good question? Yeah. And what are the questions, that, the right questions to ask that do lead us into these spaces that you're talking about that are so engaging and rich and take us into new places in yeah. our relationships? I mean, we wrote this book simply to say, I was asked to write this book by the publisher say, what are the 12 questions that will lead to a cathartic conversations from your 10 years of experience, 1200, you know, um, conversations. What have you seen as a, as a most powerful question? So these 12 questions, if you just ask them, you'll go on an incredible cathartic journey that'll deepen your relationship. That'll change it in theory and in practice forever because you're going to have mm-hmm. a conversation you haven't had before. But more important than those 12 questions is showing you the mechanics of why they work and how they work so that you can then create other questions and can create right. other spaces. So basically handing over the blueprint of this is how it works. Here are the mechanics. Go explore. Hmm. Go practice deeper relationships with the people most important to you. With your dad, with your mom, with your, with your husband, wife, partner, lover, with your child. If we can improve the relationships in our life, that's a small way of improving the world. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful perspective. Doaz, can we dive a little further into, you just talked about the idea of listening and how we don't necessarily teach listening and how it can vary from culture to culture. Are there things that are sort of unanimous that when it comes to listening that we can share with our listeners today to help them become better listeners? Wow. Well, the thing that comes up is just, it's a good question. Uh, the thing that comes up for me is this idea that I talk about in the book called deep listening, which is the idea that oftentimes when we're in conversation, we're not listening. We're actually thinking about our response. Yeah. Right. We're thinking about what's the next thing I'm going to say. What, you know, in, in, whatever, in order to win my point, in order to look good, to look smart, whatever it is, to make them feel better. What I suggest is the experience in deep listening of 
listen to what's coming up in your body. Mm. Listen, to, in some sense, listen to your intuition, which is not listening to the brain. Because when you think about your response, you're actually not taking the other person in. Let the other person's emotion through their words and the way they're presenting what they're saying land into your, into your body, into your presence. And a good way to follow that is just by breathing, hmm. you know, and notice, yeah. oh, they said something, I'm getting tense, therefore I'm not breathing. Isn't that interesting? They just said something that makes me feel defensive or vulnerable or scared or frightened or excited or what is it? Oh, interesting. And then continue breathing. Let, let, me, let me not stop breathing. Open up. And let, t- let the words and the emotion and the sentiment of what they're sharing land in you completely versus the brain, which is kind of the protector at the gate, mm. right? And oftentimes you, things are not coming in and you'll be surprised to see what comes in when you slow down and take the time to breathe into it, to listen to your intuition, to see what comes up. So oftentimes practice taking that long pause after someone and don't give the first response. I've seen through the end, because we've done so many conversations, that sometimes there's these kind of cultural mantras or kind of societal programming. Oftentimes, we are kind of, we are responding in ways that we're not even, I question if it's really how we feel. Uh, Let me give a simple example. We did a bunch of blind, blind dates, right? Where we have two people who are meeting as a blind date. Yeah. And there's a question that we had, why do you think I'm still single? Ooh. Yeah. And I was really amazed that pretty much the answer, regardless of the, the background of the individual or the kind of, you know, it was always the same. Oh, you're, you're taking time to figure yourself out. You need to figure yourself out first. Interesting. That seemed to be everyone's response. And I thought, wow, is that the, tr- is that really true? Or is that actually a response that we're programmed to say that's the first thing we grab at because it's just kind of what's there. And we all assume that that's what it is. But is that really what it is? What if we took a pause and actually breathed into the body and listened and saw mm-hmm. what popped in, what dropped in, what sentiment came up, and then shared that? I think oftentimes we do respond in ways that are kind of societal programming. We think this is the thing and we don't take the time to question it, to actually feel into our bodies and say, is that what I really think? Is that what Mm -hmm. I really feel? And I think that's part of deep listening. I think that's a practice is listening. And I think that in our society, we are programmed to always have the answers, right? So that's why when someone is speaking to you, you're thinking about how do I win this argument? How do I respond in a way that makes me intelligent? How do I... What can I, how can I even add to this conversation that's, you know, puts me in a certain position or whatnot? What if we just focus more on the questions? Mm. What if we focus more on trying to dig deeper into the, into the exchanges we're having with people to go below the surface? And why would we want to do that? Because from my experience of witnessing all these conversations, what comes out is a greater, it's a, it's a deeper relationship. It's <laughs> my dad. It's funny when I, my dad has seen the shows, he's seen the card games. He's seen even our live show. And he's like, son, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And finally we did a production and he came and he sat down and he, we had a conversation. He goes, Oh my gosh, now I get it. I would have never wow. had this conversation with you if we didn't have this experience, which was create the space and ask these incredible questions. Yeah. 
And part of that experience with these incredible questions is listening to each other. Yeah. And I don't think we do that enough. And I don't think I it's, a, it's not a practice that we have. And that's why I think, that's why I think the book is powerful. That's why I think the questions are powerful. That's why my team and I are so passionate about this for the last 10 years. Cause I think there's a need for it. Yeah. And I think going back to this idea of discomfort, it's uncomfortable, mm. right? That's, that's, I think that deep listening is really uncomfortable. I, as you're talking about it, I'm, you know, shifting to listening into my body. I'm making sure I'm practicing this right now and not thinking about like, what question am I going to ask mm -hmm. next or how am I going to respond? And it's uncomfortable because what if I don't have the right thing to say? What if I mess up and I stumble over? I don't know the next question to make this a great interview. It is a, it's an uncomfortable place to be, to be fully engaged in what someone else is saying and feeling into that because you're not as focused on the future. You're sitting right here right now and yeah. in what's happening. But I think it does create this, this beautiful experience that now we can actually have an exchange where we're both present instead of both thinking about what we're going to say next. Yeah. And I think it's often, a different kind of conversation. It's a different kind of conversation. And, and look, we're very good at having the conversation with our brains, which is thinking and processing. But frankly, the computer is going to be doing that in the future. AI and that, you know, so what's the place of humanity? It's actually heartfelt conversations. It's actually tapping into a deeper level of understanding and listening and seeing what comes out of that, what emerges from there. That's a special space that we haven't yeah. quite explored. And we're, we're actually veering to the other side because of social media and all the technologies and, you know, people, People now barely even talk on the phone. They leave voice notes for each other. If you look at the young generations, you know, it's like, right. or texting. How many of us actually really have these in-depth conversations? So this, there's a lot for us to garner from that. And a lot of us to reap from the benefit of, of exploring a space that we often take for granted, which is the important relationships in our life. Yeah. I do think there's a hunger out there for that though, yeah. for, for that connection and for, um, I don't, uh, content isn't really the right word, art. That, that is able to sort of transcend those one-sided conversations or the short clips on social media and actually has depth. I think in my opinion, that's why podcasts have sort of had a resurgence mm -hmm. because it's a, it's a media where we're actually able to, to connect in a real way between you and me. And we bring the listener in and they feel a part of this experience as well. And it sort of satisfies in a new way that desire for connection. I think that's why your show has been so successful too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. People, people want that. Yeah. I think, I think it, you, you found a, a niche that is like, it hits on the heart of who we are as mm -hmm. humanity. Oh, thank you. I agree with you. I, that's beautifully said. Topaz, can you talk about, you describe yourself as a story breaker. Mm. Can you, can you talk about what that actually means and, yeah. and why that term is important to human connection? So, the, the, the words or the names we give things are really important because they shape our relationship to it and the possibilities that exist from it. So, for example, for many years, I call myself a film director, a film mm. director. Well, what does a film director do? Well, they make movies, they put them on screens or they do this and they do that and they act like this and they wear a scarf and they go to festivals or whatever it is, <laughs> right? That's a film director. So... If I call myself a film director, therefore I behaved as a film director and the possibilities that exist for me were that were kind of outlined by my definition that I call myself. Being very aware of what you call yourself because it can limit the possibilities. Mm -hmm. And so I got at a point at 37 
And I had this experience where I realized I realized this and I said, Oh, well, maybe I'm a story breaker. What if I call myself a story breaker? What possibilities would emerge if I didn't call myself a film director and call myself a story breaker? And why a story breaker? Well, because when I looked around, I saw we all tell ourselves stories. Topaz is this. Money means that. Politics is that. This is a, this is a, this is the way the world works. It's all a story. Right? Mm-hmm. Then something happens. You fall in love. You get divorced. You break a leg. You get hit by a car. You get cancer. You know, you win the lottery. You make that big deal. Money rushes in. Something happens that changes your story. It breaks your story and therefore you have to create a new one. So I felt, oh, if I'm a story breaker, that can be in the work I do, which is not just making films. It could also be creating a card game, creating an interactive live experience, creating a YouTube series, doing a retreat, a physical retreat. Film directors don't create card games. Film directors don't do retreats. Film directors don't do an interactive theatrical live show. A story breaker can. And even better was a story breaker can do it in a conversation like you and I are having right now. Hmm. It's something that I can be in addition to doing. And so that was about 10 years ago. And now I'm wondering, am I still a story breaker or is there another word that I can call myself that gives me more permission or creates new possibilities and avenues for me to pursue? So I think it's really important to be aware in every facet of your work, of your life, of how you call yourself, your relationship, the name you give it, the name you give it, because that they're boundaries. Names are boundaries. Mm-hmm. So the bigger the name you can give it, the more room for exploration there is or a different direction you can go in. How did your story and your identity change as you shifted title from film director to story breaker? Well, I mean, I mean, part of that. So I, this is with a Tony Robbins event. It was a date with destiny. It was 37. And the other thing I realized on that thing, on that experience was that I had been waiting for my father to die to become the man I wanted to be. Wow. And when I realized that I said, Holy shit, why don't I just be the man I know I can be and share that man with my dad? Why am I waiting for him to die? to then be the man I can be. And so that was obviously a big shift because a lot of it when was tied also to the thing I was doing, which was a film director, which then led, okay, if I'm not, if I want to be that man, what is that man doing, contributing and being? I need to give that a name so that it can give me more of a guidepost and expand it. And that's why story breaker. So there's a connection there. I think, I mean, honestly, I think the last 10 years, the uh, other identity that shift is one from, let's say, an artist to more of an entrepreneur business person, understanding the bottom line of finances. And you can have these visions of creating things, but if there's no, if it's not sustainable in terms of energy, and what I mean by energy is oftentimes, well, we can say money is energy. Um, yeah. You know, for a long time, I had an issue with money where I felt like if someone paid me, they owned me. And 
so then I did a lot of work on my own and kind of scavenged to make things happen that I felt were of extreme value. And then what happens? I'm exhausted. I was burnt out and I fell into depression and I couldn't walk more than 10 minutes without my legs going numb and because my spinal wow. cord is crushed and I was depressed and I was exhausted. And I realized, well, okay, I've been seeing money as though someone pays me money, they own me. Well, what if I change that definition? Much like I changed the name from film director Storybreaker, what if I change money to energy? And when you and the idea, and I just shifted the perception of my relationship to it and my understanding was like, you know what? If I put something out into the world that takes this much energy and I get back this much energy, which is more, so people call that excess of energy profit, then it becomes sustainable. So it keeps me, and then I could put more out in the world. And when I made that switch, my relationship to my projects and to money shifted because it was no, no longer about me being owned. It was me about my the sustainability of energy so that I don't get exhausted. I don't get burned out. I don't get depressed. My body doesn't wither away. And instead, I can do more. I can contribute more. And so wow. shifting my perspective with money or with my work value, like created new possibilities. And so that the last 10 years has been a shift for me is from an artist to more entrepreneur understanding that and, and, and th I think that's also why it led to the book. That's led to more books that led uh, to more of our um, card games that we offer uh, in more countries and more, to more people. And then you see the result of that, of that contribution. And that's inspiring for me and my team. That's inspiring for me too. I, what a transformation. Uh, I didn't realize the depth of, of that transformation. And you talked about sort of being on the cusp of feeling like you're ready for another transformation. Can you sort of workshop what does that process look like for mm -hmm. you? If someone's feeling like they're in a similar position where they're like, you know what, this isn't quite right. Something about my relationship to money or my relationship with my work isn't quite right. How do you go through that process? Yeah. Um, there's two questions and I'm, I'm still working on this because I think there's, sure. there's could be like a question loop and there's two questions. What's that about? Right. What's that about and why? Mm. So for instance, Let's give an example. You start with a line like, I'm really exhausted these days. Okay. What's that about? Hmm. Well, I'm exhausted because I have two kids and we're we just, we, we don't have time besides taking care of them to do other things. I mean, I'm working and taking care of the kids. Why? Well, because I love my kids and I need to work to earn the income to support them. Well, what's that about? Well, because, and you start following, what's that about? Why? What's that about? Why? And you start digging deeper and deeper to get into things that you're like, oh, and you might find an idea that you're like, well, what if I shifted that? What if I shifted money from being owned to energy? How would that, yeah. how would that change things? And I think it's, I think it's about questions, right? I think it's, I think it's yeah. about, I'm offering here, what's that about and why are two questions, mm -hmm. but there's other questions to ask. And that's a big learning for me is, we are so focused in our society to have answers. Yeah. I mean, have answers. And we are, pre you wake up in the morning and the first thing you say is like, oh shit, I got to do that. Uh oh, I'm so excited. I'm, I have, I'm going to do this. We don't right. realize that actually before we have that reaction, there's actually an intrinsic question. What do I have to do today? How do yeah. I feel? Why am I excited today? We are answering questions all the time. We don't realize we're creating questions, hmm. create better questions. So 
in a relationship, I talk about here are five aspects of creating good questions in a relationship. But I also talk about here are th- here are, to make a good question to yourself. There's three parts. There's a time temporal component about time. There's a time about how is it, the second field is how does it make you feel? And the third field is how does it make others feel? And instead of focusing on any dilemma you have, instead of focusing on the answer, don't focus on the answer. Stop. Just create 30 versions of the question, changing the temporal, changing how it makes you feel, changing how it makes other feel. For example, um, why am I so exhausted? Okay. I can look for hours about why I'm so exhausted. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's stop for a second. Let me not look at the answer to why I'm so exhausted. Stop. Let me just ch- focus on the question. Why am I so exhausted? Let me change that to in the next two days, how can I be more energized so that I can play more with my kids? Okay, let's wow. go with another version of that. In the next week, what can I do so that I'm excited to, you know, uh, go on a date with my wife? In the next f- four hours, what can I do that I can rest and then be prepared to tell a story to my kids and get them jazzed about something? Like create a list of 30 questions and then choose a question that you're most excited about. And then the answer is obvious. Hmm. We are, we are not, we are put so much energy into answers that we don't realize we're asking poor questions and the questions are not setting us up for empowerment or success or a deeper, more exciting life. Don't, when you, when I find myself hammering a question, like stuck, I remind myself, <laughs> dope as stop answering that question, create a new hmm. brainstorm on 15 questions. And then choose the one that excites you the most that you think is the most interesting. That's worthy of answering. Right. So that's like a, a trick that I do is, is really focus on the question, brainstorm on the question. And there's three parts of the question, the time, how you feel and how it makes others feel and just fill in different spots for that. Right. I, I love this. I love this idea. And I'm, I'm like already trying to think about how to ask better questions to some of these that I've been sort of just looping over and over in my own life. Mm-hmm. Like what you want to go into it? <laughs> you wanna- yeah. I think I'm just in a place in my life where I felt like I had accomplished a lot of the things that I wanted to accomplish. And now I'm like, I am really feeling a little lost, like Mm -hmm. what's next. And so I think the question that I've been asking myself is like this question of like this big, like what's next, like what's the next big goal that I'm going to have in my life. And it feels so big, overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels overwhelming to think about that. So as you're talking about that, I'm thinking like, okay, so uh, in the next five days, what is one thing that I could do to um, maybe help my team be more productive or um, you know, in the next month, what is one thing that I could do to help myself feel more energized and alive? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, I was just yeah. kind of like riffing as, as you were talking, I got so, a little lost in my, in my brain there, but. And you could, you know, you can just play with those three levels. What, what can I do? What in the next five years will challenge me beyond, you know, beyond expectation such that I can inspire others in my community? What can I do wow. in the next three years that inspire that challenges me beyond expectation, such that I can inspire my family? What can I do in the next five years or three years that makes me feel uh, that that ins- that I'm attracted to because I have no idea what it is, or I'm attracted to because I ha- I don't know the answer that 
will support the issues that I think are important. Just 30 of these. Mind blowing. 30 yeah. of these. Because what's next? It's just like our mind is a dog. And the questions yeah. are the are the sticks that we throw. We're we're not we think that our mind is is like you don't realize the dog is chasing sticks that you throw, but you're not thinking about where am I throwing the stick? Right. So when you throw the stick of what's next, oh my God, that's like a tough how do you answer that? Like you spend hours thinking about that, right? Right. Right. <laughs> throw the stick in a better spot. Focus mm. on where am I throwing that stick? Because the mind is built to go fetch. But you can Tell it where to fetch. And that's what we often forget. And we tell it how to fetch by the questions we ask ourselves or the questions that we ask in a relationship. Yeah, man, that is so helpful. Thank you. Uh, already. I think that's, that's brilliant. And I think for me, sometimes it's, it's almost this thing where like, again, like going back to this idea of having to have the answer, it's almost like the ego mm-hmm. feels like if I can just find the right answer, then I'm safe or I'm like, right. Uh, I, it, it's like this again, going back to comfort, like this whole uh-huh. thing I feel like is all sort of a, a, a real threat. It's like, if I can find the right answer, I'll be comfortable. And that's what I want. So it, yeah, go ahead. Go so ahead. the line that I, the line that I say, and I find it true that I remind myself is the path to growth is lit by your fears. It's lit by discomfort. So pursue them wherever they appear. Yeah. Like the path of growth is lit by your fears. It's lit by your discomfort. So pursue them wherever they appear. That's your path. It's something to explore. I'm not saying like, oh, everything that's bad is like keep, you know, running into a park cart. But no, it's like there is something to learn there. When you feel this, there's something to learn. So approach it properly. Utilize yeah. it. Be aware. You know, you have this conflict with a coworker. You have this conflict with your partner. You know, there's something there. Don't avoid it. I'm not saying rush into it and go. You wouldn't rush to disarm a bomb. You're not going right. to use a hammer to disarm a bomb. No, you're going to take your time. You're going to use proper tools. So when you see the discomfort, like, oh, wait, hold on a sec. There's an opportunity here. Let me slow down. Let me get the right tools and let me unearth what's here so that I can grow, so that my relationship can grow, so that the workplace can grow. Right. Yeah. You talk about this idea of the mind being a dog and sort of chasing a stick and taking control of that. Tobias, what's been a question in your life that, that you were able to sort of redirect your mind with um, in a powerful way? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I'll tell you what I have not been able to figure out, which is yeah, why, I'd love to hear. why am I so angry? I get, I get, I like very, I got, I get angry. I still have, I still have, I still got angry at my parents. Yeah. I got, sometimes I get a short temper, temper. I don't know if that's like a short fuse, you know, with my wife. Like, what is that about? And there's a lot mm-hmm. of work I need to do there. I want to where do that. Where, where are you at on that right now? It's the one, the discomfort I'm not stepping into. You know, yeah. it's like, it's the awareness. It's like, okay, how, how I'm trying to figure out, or maybe I'm being lazy about it, or maybe I'm just pushing it aside, but that's been in my mind for a few two years and it's getting better, but not, not fast enough, especially when you have kids, mm. yeah. you know, you realize whether you know or not, you pass it on to them, certain patterns. So that's, that's definitely a big one. I mean, questions I... I have been thinking a lot about 
my ch- I have a f- uh, have a four year old son and a one year old daughter, mm. and I am thinking a lot about the environment to raise them in and what experiences them, what experiences to expose them to, yeah, uh, for a world that I have no idea what it's going to be like. Right, you know, it's not. What is the best way to educate them? In what system? In what environment? How to prepare them for a future that is going to be so, so rapidly different than what right. I'm aware of. Yeah. So that's been a big question that I've been thinking about. And then in the work wise is that, you know, we have this incredible format of the end. We, we've seen how we can practice deep listening, creating the space for cathartic conversations that deepen your connection with another yeah. person, with the important relationships in your life. How can we apply that more? How can we, how yeah. can we that share that with more stories, more relationships, more people? Um, but the one personally deep down that I'm trying to figure out is the, just the, like, why am I rushing so much? It's part of mm. anger. Like it's not moving fast enough. So I get angry or like, it's not, yeah. they're not on the same page. Like what, why am I rushing to? I'm rushing to my death. Like, why am I rushing to my death? Slow down. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, so there's, I'm playing in that space. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I relate to that though. I think there's, a, I've, I feel like there is this like, this place that feels urgent to get to in life, you know, similar to my question of like, mm-hmm. what's next? Like, right. But what, but what is that place and why is it better than here? You know, like what, what's actually better than here right. is, is, uh, is an interesting thing to think about. Because <laughs> it, it, I don't know. There's just, the, but there is, there's this pull towards like, I'm not getting there fast enough. Right. Where? It, <laughs> exactly. <you know? laughs> I mean, that's also a big part of our culture. And I think if you put yeah. yourself in another environment, you know, after a few months, you might find yourself slowing down so much that you don't have, maybe you don't have that. But I think yeah. us in the West, especially in the US where we're very much production oriented, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you making? How are you contributing? How are you developing? Yeah. Um, where are we rushing to? And um, yeah. that being said, I still find myself rushing. <laughs> I still find yeah, myself me like, too. right? Me it's too. Like, it's a, like I said, it's just this pull. I'd love to switch. We talked a little yeah. bit about sort of the the digital age and I'd love to talk about specifically what are your thoughts on how we can maintain experiences, um, how we can maintain intimacy in our relationships despite the prevalence of technology. Yeah. I, again, it's creating the space and making that a practice. So you okay. hear oftentimes like... Uh, I like to tell my friends this and my wife this is respect the date night. Mm. And it's kind of f- funny, but yeah, respect the date night. Make the time. You have to make the time. Conscientious of, you know, do you make the time to exercise? Do you make the time to sleep? Do you make the time to work? A lot of us make the time to work, but do we make the same time to eat? And mm. do we make the same time to cultivate our relationships? And our relationships are like a garden. If you don't tend to it, the plant will die. It'll yeah. old to grow something or it will grow into something, a huge weed. You don't even recognize what it is. You need to tend to things. We need to tend to things if we want to cultivate them. Yeah. And I think that's, I also think that's what makes the human experience of being alive. Beautiful. Yeah. It's in the reflection of the people mo- you're most intimate with and how they reflect back you to you. 
and how do you reflect them to them? Right. That is something yeah. that we don't, we don't really, uh, in our society of doing and rushing from one place to another and our benchmarks of success, whatever that means, where's the benchmark of a successful relationship? What does that even look right. like? How does that even feel like? Cause each relationship is different. Everyone has a different connection with different people. Even look at your best friends. They might have a different ask. They might reflect a different part of you than the other one or the right. different groups have different reflections of you to yourself, right? One is who I play football with. Another one is who I work with. Another one is who I go to church with, right? Another one is who I go fishing with. There's different aspects of you that they reflect back. When you have a certain problem, you call this friend or you talk to this family member, you talk, you don't talk to just anybody. Right. Recognizing that the special threads of connection we have with these other humans, these other souls in our life is a part of appreciating the experience of being alive. Yeah. You know, you're born, you live, and then it ends. The journey in the way, if you're in the car alone, you'll see a lot of cool stuff, but it's really nice to share it with someone and talk about it. There's yeah. many ways to love, right? There's presence, there's gifts of service. There's, um, there's many ways to be present and to share your love. But one way is to articulate it with words. We're blessed with that. So practicing it is a really opportunity to acknowledge and illuminate our threads of connection, which illuminate the experience of being alive, the beauty of being alive, right? Yeah. There's, there's a, 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 I guess a thought leader that I follow. His name's Brendan Burchard. He's sure. similar vein to, to, to Tony Robbins. And one of the things he says is common sense is not always common practice. Mm. And as I hear you talking about this, I think this probably rings true to that statement is that I think stepping into these uncomfortable spaces with our friends, with our family, with our spouses, with our lovers, it might be common sense, but making it a more common practice is what's really going to make the difference in that relationship, in that garden thriving or just sort of maintaining. Yeah. And um, I think one of your quotes towards the beginning of the book that I loved is um, talking about a question saying, um, it should be non-binary and open-ended. Aren't conversations that explore the shades of gray between binaries more interesting? Mm-hmm. And, and I think making that practice, like you talked about, like respect the date night, respect the time you're hanging out with your friends and making sure that when we have those moments where we feel in our body, like, hey, I could step into an uncomfortable conversation here, like having the courage to do that, like what a difference that would make in our lives and in the world. Totally. That's why also we, we make the card games, right? I mean, yeah. it doesn't have to be heavy. It could literally be, and we have our community have told us, we, my husband and I, we, every night before we go to bed or every morning when we have our coffee together, we'll just choose one random question and talk about oh, it. That's awesome. Just Or in our company with our team, The Skin Deep, every Friday when we wrap up the week and we land the week with the lessons learned and what we've accomplished, we pull out any of our decks and we each ask each other a question. We talk about it. And that's our way of summing up the week and also feeling a sense of connection and exploration. So it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be easy. That's yeah. kind of why we made the card games. It's just, here's a simple way to just check in and, pull out cards and have yeah. a question. What specific 
types, because I know you have multiple decks. Can you share with listeners what types of decks that you have available in case they're interested in purchasing? Well, we have 12 different editions. We have couples, which is for couples. Long-term couples, those are the people who are in relationship for a long period of time. We have healing. This is the healing deck, which is kind of a expansion pack. You can mix it in with any of the other packs, but it's around healing an issue. One of my favorites is self, the relationship with yourself. So questions that are focused on, on your own um, dilemma or anything. If you, if you find yourself stuck in that situation where you're thinking about the answer, you yeah. can pull out these questions and start asking yourself questions around. Oh, fascinating. That enigma that you have. We have coworkers, we have dating, we have friends, family, strangers. We have a deck on, on racism, which is incredibly powerful. Oh, powerful. Yeah. yeah. So it's a great way to have those conversations. Um, what else? I think that's, yeah, we have 12 of them. So they're all, we have amusing yeah. for a good night out with friends. You can yeah. mix the friends or the strangers pack along with amusing, but it's a, it's a great way to the randomness of the question answers the question, answers the question of why are we here and why are we asking this question? Question. Right. right? If we're sitting in a circle and then you ask a question, it's like, Ooh, does Brett have an agenda? Yeah. You know, why did he what's, ask what's that he question? Yeah, exactly. But if it's a random question and it's a good question, right? That, that is non-binary. It's not a yes and no answer. How, you know, do you, are, you know, um, are we in love? Yes, no. I mean, there's nothing that ends a conversation quicker than a yes or no answer. Right. But if you ask something that explores the gray, then it's an opportunity. It's an offering to go and explore something. So yeah. well-constructed questions give you uh, a journey. A, a path that you can journey upon to explore your connection with other people. And you'll find out things that are unexpected and you'll learn something without doubt. Cause uh, that's been my experience at least. Yeah. I imagine that putting all of So you had uh, over 1200 interviews that you've done and then distilling all of that down into this book, I imagine was quite the process. Well, can you, can you talk about what were some of the challenges that you did have to overcome in, in authoring this book? So we've done, we've held the spell, the space for 1200 conversations. So what's interesting is, you know, we're not interviewing. It's two people asking each other questions. What we do is we place the questions. They're interviewing each other off of our questions that we offered. They're yeah. having their conversation. So we've learned from holding the space for the last 10 years. And the thing I really had to go through was, A, what are the 12 questions I find most cathartic? And what makes them work and why? And that's what I talk about in the book. And literally, you know, you can, you can do it. You can use this book in two ways. One is you could just look at the 12 questions and then play it with someone, ask the 12 yeah. questions, have a conversation. And then read the book and see why it worked. Because in each in each chapter of the book with each question, I talk about this is why I think this question works. And this is what it pulls at the thread of a relationship. And actually, here's a video because we have this incredible library of conversations. I mean, you can almost find not everything, but a lot of relationships and a lot of dynamics in our library. It's all on YouTube. And we, you know, for each question, for each chapter, we pulled out check out how this couple or how this relationship answered and responded to that question as an example of one possibility. And that was really the hardest part was choosing which couples do we cite for each question? Cause you can basically choose more or less, you know, a case study for each question. So how do we choose from our best library? Which one? That was the hardest thing. The questions yeah. were pretty clear because in 10 years kind of have the like meat and potato questions that I know these are going to work. And they're not mm. only the question, but it's also the sequence in which you place them. 
which I discuss in the book. But at the end of the day, he, you know, this book could be very prescriptive. Just ha- ask these 12 questions, have a conversation. You'll ha- you know, it'll change your relationship forever or, or not our, but and you could also read into the book and see, oh, now I can, I know why this works. And I can now create other questions and I know how to create the space and I can apply it to different environments, whether it's at work, whether it's friends, family, strangers. But now I understand how to create the space to have these cathartic conversations. And I think that's ultimately what I, that's why we wanted to put the book out there. Because we have yeah. the card games to create the space and people who have these cathartic experiences, but now let's put the mechanics into their hands. And that was the intention behind the book. That is the intention behind the book. Yeah. I remember the first time that I had a conversation uh, with someone that was sort of in a safe container. So we really did think about context. This was before I had read the book. So this was sort of um, in listening to the other sort of relationship coaches and sort of picking up tips here and there, but uh, a container where it was safe, where we had some rules established for Mm -hmm. sort of, this is how we're going to operate within this space. Um, And then creating good questions that were non-binary, that were more open-ended and what a different type of conversation that was. Um, it really blew my mind. And I'm really excited to get this into the hands of, of everyone. You know, it, it's out now. I, I want everybody that's listening to, to read this book because I do think it's Thank transformational. You. Once you understand not only what these questions are, they can make a difference in your relationship, but how to ask a good question in any context. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Brett. Of Thanks course. I want to throw another one of your quotes at you. Okay. And uh, this is one that I absolutely love. It's living inside the boundaries we unconsciously create for ourselves and our relationships can close us off to the many lush possibilities life has to offer. And I'd love for you just to sort of, uh, as we're drawing to a close, talk a little bit about that one. Well, I think that harks back to a lot of what we've talked about, about the names we give things. Yeah. I mean, why, let me, let me just go on a little bit of a tangent, but, why is traveling, for instance, so powerful? Well, it's because, in my opinion, it's because anytime you change your environment, because when you're in one environment, you realize, okay, well, Topaz, he speaks English. Topaz sleeps in this bed. Topaz has these friends. Topaz goes here and there every day, does this and that. Okay. Take Topaz out and put him in Japan. Well, now mm-hmm. Topaz needs to speak Japan, Japanese. Now Topaz will not sleep in that old bed. Now he's sleeping in this other hotel or doing this other thing. He's not surrounded by these people. He's surrounded by that people. Change the context, change the space. Now the question of who am I? What am I doing? Is questioned because you're in a different environment. Questions can serve as a space of a different environment. Right? Yeah. You and I can have, you're talking to your family member. You're always asking the same questions. You're having, okay, there's an established pattern of relationship. You think you know the other person. Right, because you've been with them forever, so therefore you start putting them into a slot. Into there's a pattern. There's like this is who they are. Well, either we can have a totally new experience, right? We can go sailing or do some kind of exercise that we've never done before that requires us to explore each other and the way we communicate in different ways. Similarly, mm-hmm. you could just ask each other a really well constructed question that you haven't asked each other before. We haven't had this conversation. Ooh, this is a pattern breaker. I.e., this is a story breaker. Okay. Yeah. Well, now let's explore this. What do I mean? What is Topaz talking about? The questions could be something like, 
you're talking to your your family member that you may don't get along. Why why do our conflicts make us better? Where when when have I disappointed you most, and why do you think I did? Hmm. Um, which is interesting because you could talk about why the disappointment, but then you can also put yourself in their shoes. And now you have to be in their shoes to try to come up with a reason why you think they took that choice. How often do we put ourselves in other people's shoes? Not often. It's a great yeah. practice. How much yeah. does money cost? How much does earning money cost you? Yeah. Well, we don't often put those two things together. Like creating really well-constructed questions is an opportunity to journey into a new space that creates a space for exploration that can redefine the existing relationship we have that we have. Right. I mean, yeah. So don't take your partner for granted. You put them, yes, they behave. This is our pattern. It's always the pattern. Well, it's going to continue being the pattern unless you do something new. So if you ask a new question, boom, that gives you an opportunity to break that pattern, create something new and have a different type of connection with that person. Yeah. And if you do that in the right space, in the right sequence, you can have a cathartic conversation that will change your relationship forever. And it doesn't have to just be once. It can be over and over again. And then that makes your life that much more interesting, that much more colorful, that much more nuanced, that much more expansive. And that's yeah. basically, yeah. It's beautiful. Beautifully said. Topaz, what's next for you? Um, what's next? I mean, well, let's see what, what happens with the book. We're selling it already. And what's going to be sold in, in, in addition to the US, it's going to be sold in Germany, Taiwan, and China, which is like, yeah. Two other German and Mandarin, which is going to be, I wonder what's going to happen there. I wonder, um, yeah. I mean, I think what's next for us is really how the question we've been asking is how can we apply this, the format of the Andes cathartic conversations to other topics and experiences as we build this incredible library of human relationships? We have 1200 yeah. so far. Let's double that and let's explore yeah. different aspects of what it means to be human through um, the and format so that different people can share their experiences through their relationships by having these conversations. And then we share that with the world. And then hopefully we can create deeper listening within societies, within community so that we can um, make our effort to just make slight improvements two millimeters at a time. Mm. And two millimeters over a long distance can have a huge, exactly. huge result in your life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Topaz, what would you tell someone who's maybe just starting out in their career or in their journey? They want to make an impact, but they're not really sure how to get started. Do you mm. have any advice um, that you would give them? Yeah. The question you ask yourself, one question I would suggest is value to others. Make a circle, like a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. Where do I feel I offer value to others? The other circle is, where do I feel gives me energy? Where do they overlap? Spend time in that mm-hmm. spo- spot, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's because oftentimes if you're offering value to other people and you're getting energized by it, it's self-sustaining and sustainable and you're offering value to other people, which means you'll be remunerated, be supported, and it can be sustainable. And yet you're passionate about it. I would try to play in that space. I love that. I think that's great advice. So Topaz, is there anything else that we haven't covered today that you want to share with the audience? I appreciate, I appreciate the the chance to chat and talk and, and your presence, man. Thank you, Brett. 
Yeah, of course. Topaz, thanks for sharing your time today. And I know this is valuable. I know this time is, is tremendously valuable to our listeners. If you're listening today, go out and buy the book. The link is going to be in the show notes. Uh, please support Topaz, support this work. It's it's life-changing. And I think if you do the work, you're going to see a tremendous result. And let us know what comes up for you. Like what's been your experience? We love we love hearing that in our community. You know, we're on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and all that. And just you can find us and uh, let us know how it works out for you. What, what's been your experience? We'd love hearing that. Perfect. All right, Topaz, thank you for the time today. Thanks, Brent. Have a good one. Take care. Cheers. Bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode with the visionary Topaz Adizas. I hope you're leaving as inspired as I am, carrying forward the wisdom and insights into your own journey of impact and connection. A big thank you to Topaz for joining us and sharing his profound stories and perspectives. We'd also like to extend our heartfelt gratitude to Tower Community Bank once again for sponsoring this episode. Their dedication to building a strong, vibrant community aligns perfectly with the spirit of the Impact Code, and we're grateful for their support. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this conversation and you want to be a part of our journey towards making an impact, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Your support means the world to us and helps us continue to bring the content that matters. Lastly, if you're intrigued by the art of storytelling and human connection that Topaz so beautifully portrays, be sure to check out his new book, 12 Questions for Love, which is linked in the show notes. It's a dive. It's a deep dive into the questions that can transform your relationships and enrich your understanding of love and connection. Until next time, keep making an impact and exploring the stories that shape our world. This is Brett Hollenbeck signing off. Bye.